All right. So, um, so yeah. So we've got about we've got about thirty-ish verses or so. So we'll walk through. And so, um, so the first we just want to look at the context. Just look at the setting here. So verses thirteen through sixteen, Paul and his companions set from Paphos. So they're leaving Cyprus. And so interesting. Just just kind of interesting to take note now. Up until this point, we kind of seen Barnabas be kind of the lead figure in this um, in in all in the narrative. Well, now we see Paul kind of taking that leadership position now, which is Paul and his companions. Um, and we see that John left them. John left them and returned to Jerusalem. And so this is a narrative. This is a, just something that we want to pick up on. Um, it doesn't have to do directly with the course of the sermon, but something that we want to take note of because this is going to come up later in chapter 15 when we see Barnabas and Paul uh, split. They're going to split because um, of this issue, the fact that John um, left them in Cyprus and went back to uh, Jerusalem. And uh, so this kind of is, uh, in a sense, kind of, a, at least from Paul's perspective, a, a uh, um, kind of a, 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 um, a, a bad mark on, on, uh, on John. And so um, whatever his reason is, Paul you know, kind of felt he didn't, you know, persevere. He didn't, you know, keep his hand to the plow that he looked back, you know, and so, but, you know, by the, um, in, in, the, uh, in the rest of the New Testament, we see Paul actually requesting John's presence uh, in Rome. He actually sent for him. Um, John Mark became the author of the gospel, it was the gospel, is the author of the gospel of Mark. And so we see that um, uh, John, um, you know, whatever the reason of him leaving, we see, we see evidence of his, you know, redemption and his reconciliation with the brothers. And so just something to encourage us, right, is that, you know, if we fail, if we stumble or calling, there, there are consequences. There are, there are going to be, you know, um, you know, it's not no big deal. But um, what the grace of God in, that we have in, um, in Christ, right, we, um, through his spirit and through the the, the mercy that is extended in Christ in the, in the body that, you know, we can always extend grace and we can, no one's beyond, you know, beyond hope, right? We can always, um, in Christ, uh, have that hope of uh, reconciliation and redemption. So, um, so John leaves them, Paul and Barnabas. Now, they, again, they go into the synagogue. So, again, the, the synagogue is the local gathering of the Jews in all these different Places. Even Jesus in Galilee, he went to the synagogue, right? Because you couldn't go to the temple every single Sabbath. It was too far, right? And so um, the synagogue, um, it's the gathering of the, the whole church, of the whole, the whole um, Jewish community. Um, you, you, would always have, um, you would always have to have at least 10 elders um, in the, uh, to start an official synagogue. And so, um, so you had um, the elders, you had... Uh, their families, you had Jews, and you also had God-fearers, you had proselytes, you had uh, Gentiles who uh, sought the God of the Israelites. They, they, had, um, they had turned away from their pagan gods, and they, were, um, and they had um, committed themselves to the worship of uh, the true God, and so they had undergone uh, baptism, purification, and, they, and circumcision, and they were now uh, members of the Jewish community, and um, so, uh, so in the synagogue, they, um, 
would is is kind of how we have the template for our worship. They would read from the they would read the scriptures. They would read from the law, and they would read from the prophets. And so we saw Jesus doing that when he read from Isaiah, right? Um, and so um, so. And just as us, a healthy church, right, should be consisting of reading scriptures, but also interpreting it correctly, right? And so, um, so they're reading from the law and the prophets. Now, something to now this is now something to keep in mind here. This is this is an important point. This is exactly what Paul expounds on. So they're reading the law and the prophets, but they have no idea of who Christ is. They have no idea of the Messiah. So they're reading, you know, Moses, they're reading about Abraham, they're reading David, but they don't read it with a, with a Christological view, right? So a lot of these communities, they're reading it either through a moralistic view, right? So a lot of times they would just read the law and then they would just expound on, well, okay, well, um, the Mishnah says, you know, before you... Uh, before the Sabbath, you have to do this, this, and this to prepare your meal. And then if you, uh, in order to honor this holiday, you have to do this, 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 and dress this way, this way. And then there's a whole bunch of rules. And so sometimes they, they read it just very mor- moralistically and legalistically. Right? So, that's beca- um, so that's one of the ways they could read it. Um, they would also read it very nationalistically. <laughs> they, would, they, would, um, they would read it and say, and, and amen, they, they're, they're holding to the promises of God, and they're thinking that, yeah, if we, if we turn to the Lord, if we are faithful to him, he's going to restore Israel, he's going to conquer the Romans, he's going to restore uh, sovereignty to the people of Israel, and that's what a lot of uh, Jews were hoping for and kind of holding to in that day. And, so, and, and you had some Jews who really were anticipating the Messiah. You know? But so, they, um, so kind of in, you had a whole mix of... of uh, ways that the law and the um, prophets were interpreted, but this is exactly what uh, Paul, um, uh, this, is, this is his platform for his message. And so he's, he's there and he's listening, and they say, brothers, if you have any words of encouragement for the people, say it. So they invite him. So God's providence for, for him to speak up, and he, had, he, uh, he has this moment. And so that's just the context of this uh, sermon and, and wh- again, why this is important for us to just kind of grasp is because this sermon is kind of indicative of how Paul went around and preached to all the different Gentile um, regions, right? And so we just um, and so he, he he definitely said more than this, <laughs> you know, but not less. This is a, this is a kind of a, um, essentially. When, so as we, as we kind of walk through the narrative and we see Paul preaching in this place or this place, and we say, you know, what did he preach? What did he preach on? Well, this kind of, we, we can kind of go back to this sermon here, and this gives us an idea of how, of what he was speaking to the Gentiles throughout the rest of his ministry. And so not, not word for word, you know, and, and so, so Luke records, you know, what we need to know <laughs> from, from this. So Paul definitely expounded on much more than this, but... Luke uh, records these um, kind of key points. So, any, any, are we good? Everyone, any questions or thoughts on that? Any pushback? Okay. All right, all right. You can push back. Push back. Okay. The open floor. Push back. All right. Okay. Um, all right. So, he had, so on um, verse 16, 
he addresses the men of Israel and you who fear God. So what's he saying? What's, what's the significance of that address? Just think about it. What's the, what's he, what's he saying in that passage? Yes. Just go ahead. Just, just, you don't have to qualify yourself. Just say it. <laughs> just say it. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. So he's addressing first the Jews in the synagogue, but this message is not, is not limited to them. It's not exclusive to them. This message is for all who hear, all who believe. So um, if you're a Greek, Roman, barbarian, whatever, um, this message is for you as well, right? Um, he said, and so uh, verses 17 through um, 20, so, so basically 20, uh, in verses 17 through uh, uh, 22, he gives a short history of Israel. So again, he doesn't go as long as Stephen did in all these points, but he covers um, their, the, 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 the calling of Abraham. He chose their forefathers. He chose Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his 12 sons. Uh, they went into Egypt. Uh, they were enslaved. They grew. They were led out of Egypt in the Exodus and the, through his mighty works. Uh, for 40 years, they were in the wilderness. Uh, after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as inheritance. And so just, just, just to understand, this event, the Exodus event to the Jews was, was kind of like their gospel in their day. That's what they always went back to. That's what they always referred back to is that Exodus. It's like whenever you doubted God's purposes, whenever you doubted God's um, power or his might, right, God would always say, am I not the God who brought you out of Egypt? Am I not the God, right? And so, so for the Jews, this, this was a core piece of their... Um, of their identity, that they didn't choose themselves. They didn't um, establish themselves. From the beginning, it was God calling them. From the beginning, it was God initiating grace to them. God is the one who establishes his purposes. God is the one who, um, who establishes his salvation for us. It was never us. It was never our design. It was never our plan. Um, everything that happened to them, even their slavery in Egypt, was all part of his grand redemptive plan for humanity, right? And so it's something to affirm, right? He's reminding them that, hey, you know, get off of your, your whatever, your, your own self-sufficiency or your own self-assurance, you know, um, look to God, right, <laughs> who is our hope. He's the one who has always initiated um, this plan, this, um, this, this work. And he, all this took about 450 years. After that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. So we're covering a good span of time. And these, 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 uh, these timelines are important, right? Because what does it say? God's purposes um, are established over the course of history, right? It's not just like instantaneous here, instantaneous there, right? Um, God established um, his, his people right, through perseverance, through patience, through generation to generation, right, and so to understand, right, the hope that we are in, the, to understand the, um, our calling in him, 
right, is to understand that God has a grand plan and, 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 and we are part of this um, history that he has um, uh, authored, right, from the big beginning to end. Um, so he's just, so again, he's just grounding them in their own history. You know, not telling them that they, anything that they don't already know, but affirm, right? hey, we're on the same page, right? I'm with you. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a son of Abraham. I am part of the, I am part of the, I'm, I'm an Israelite. This is, these are, these are the promises to our people, right? Um, so that's their history. And then he brings them into a, um, a key figure, which is David, right? They asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, uh, who was the one who was rejected. They removed him, and he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do my will, all my will, right? So David, in the Old Testament, right, was the king who was, who has, whose whole heart was committed to God. He was a man of worship. He was a man of faith, right? He exemplified a genuine um, uh, just love for God and, and adoration of God. Um, that, um, that, um, that, and again, it wasn't because David, anything inherited in him, right? From when David was a boy, God just called him because he was the, the weakest, the youngest in the, in, the, in the lowest family and said, here, I'm going to pour out my spirit on this kid and raise him up, right? And so, um, so God's spirit was upon David right from the beginning and uh, called him up. And, uh, and again, very important figure and, and promise when it comes to David, right? Because when it comes to David in, uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, God establishes with David the Davidic covenant, a key, key um, uh, promise that the, the Israelites held to. And so in the Davidic covenant, God promises David that you will always have a descendant on the throne. You will never, ever fail to have a son um, on the throne in, in, um, in Israel. Um, and that's the promise that I have established with you. Right, so this is something that the Jews really held to. Um, so, right, and so from the whole book of First uh, and Second Kings, it's a whole story, right, of how um, in Judah um, God has preserved the lineage of David um, from uh, all the way to the time of all the way to the time of Christ. And so, when we read, uh, you write, it, it, when we read Matthew chapter one, we see those genealogies. What's it pointing us to? It's pointing us to the fact that God was faithful to this Davidic covenant that from David there would be a king who would never, ever um, lose his throne, that, that through David there would be a king who would reign forever and ever. All right, so, David, so, so Paul just kind of grounds them on these, you know, on these key uh, principles, these, these key um, uh, uh, covenants that God made with his people. And um, so he takes them, so that's, that's the history part there, all right? So this, if, if you want to just highlight one verse that really summarizes the whole grasp of this passage, verse 23, okay, verse 23 summarizes, really uh, encapsulates basically the whole message right here. He said, of this man's offspring, of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. 
Okay, so just tech, um, take note of that verse because this verse is basically the whole thesis statement for the sermon. David's offspring, right? God has fulfilled um, his, his, uh, his covenant to establish an heir on David's throne forever and ever. God has brought to Israel a savior, to the nation, to, um, to the people, a, a savior. And this person is Jesus of Nazareth, right? A historical person, um, a, uh, a carpenter, a, a real person that um, people knew and heard and, and witnessed, right? As he, as God, promised. And so that's a very key word there, promised, as he promised, because the whole thrust of, Dave, of Paul's sermon is that God keeps his promises. God fulfills his promises. Everything that is written, everything that is foretold, everything that is um, prophesied, God is faithful to fulfill. God is faithful to keep his promises. And, and that's what he's bringing forward. Everything that God had promised us, everything that God had pointed us to in Jesus, here it is. It's come to you. He's here. He's, he's, he's come. Right? And so that is, so, um, so that is the, the whole thrust of, of the message here. Any questions? Or I know I'm going really fast because I, I, I want to cover all this ground, but are we good? Anybody? Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So, um, so the next part, verses uh, 24 through um, 24 through. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so let's. So this is interesting. It would appear that they they don't if they if they've heard of him they don't know much <laughs> at all and but but what what um but what uh what Paul does appeal to is John the Baptist and so they have so they have some modern reference and so uh so Paul brings this into modern context for them he refers to John the Baptist so they've heard of John the Baptist John the Baptist his preaching ministry has somehow reverberated to them because he's appealing to, to John the Baptist. And so, um, so he's a key figure that he points to. Again, uh, he's grounding them in their modern history now. So all of that things happen in, in centuries past, but now here, this is our, this is our modern context uh, here. And so... Um, so he, he refers to John the Baptist, who, again, the, the essence of, of his message, right, is that the kingdom of God is at hand, and therefore they must repent because God's wrath is coming, right? Um, in Matthew uh, 3.12, John the Baptist says, his, God's, winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn and the shaft he will burn, unquenchable fire. So John preached the message of, 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 uh, of God's coming judgment, but also how to be saved from it by the one who is to come after him. So they had already, uh, so, so um, even in this day, um, they considered uh, John the Baptist the, la um, the, the last great prophet. 
um, until Christ. So John, we, we, we recognize, is kind of the last of the Old Testament prophets. You know, he came in the spirit of Elijah. And so he came as kind of the, the figure that encompassed all of um, the Old Testament um, prophets and said, the one who comes after me, he's the one, <laughs> right, who uh, is that you're to listen to, that I'm not even worthy to, tie his, to untie his sandals, right? Um, so, so again, um, continuing that on, um, he's continuing to ground them in, this, in the, the history of, of Jesus's life and ministry. So, he's, so now, um, so in verse 26, he says, brothers, the sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. So he's referring back to John's message that what John promised is, has now come, and that is in the person of Jesus Christ. He says, for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, referring to Jesus, nor understand the utterance of the prophets by which they are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him, talking about Christ. And though they found no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. So Paul, again, he's referring to the very public nature of Christ's work, of his life, of his death, and his resurrection. Jesus was a real person who lived in this time period, uh, who was um, condemned by people of, 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 this, of, uh, of, of their context, um, who were, um, who were, and he was judged under Pilate, a historical figure. Uh, so he's talking about um, the, um, how Christ was crucified publicly and, um, and brought that right to their focus. But then, now he gets to the real central point of the matter. But God raised him from the dead. But God raised him from the dead. And that phrase there is, for the rest of the passage is the whole center point of what Paul um, emphasizes, is that all of this was done to fulfill God's purposes, and all of that was done to bring them to this point where Christ is crucified and raised and, by, and seen by many people um, for many days in Galilee and Jerusalem. And so again, Paul is, is taking all, that, all their previous history and, and is now bringing it to their, their modern time and saying now, in this era, in this time period, right, God has fulfilled what he promised in this man, Jesus, who died, who was crucified, who was, who was without sin, who was without, um, without any guilt, without anything worthy of death, right, was crucified as an innocent man, was laid, was, um, was hung on a tree, crucified on a tree, and ra- laid in the tomb, right? And so, um, so he's, he's really driving home, right, that Jesus is a historical person, a historical figure. They're not, they don't believe or worship some God made out of wood or some God that, that they pray to in nature or something or some god that they that they conceive out of their own um out of their own myths or their own uh or their own pagan idolatries right this is 
a real person, a real person who lived and breathed and died and rose again. And again, as, as uh, Paul talks about later in 1 Corinthians, the, the resurrection is the whole basis of our hope in the gospel. Never, ever, ever has somebody risen from the dead of their own accord. Gotten in, in, in the Bible, God had raised other people from the dead, but nobody <laughs> said, I'm going to die. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be crucified. I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to die the most horrible death you could ever imagine. And then in three days, I'm going to rise again from the dead. In, in, that, in that aspect, Christ had done something that has never, ever been done before by any human being. When, um, when, when we die, we're dead, right? We never come back. It's the one thing that nobody can ever overcome. It's the one thing that we're all going to face. It's the one thing that everybody is uh, going to come under is, is death. And um, physical death, but more importantly, spiritual death is that because of sin, because of the corruption that um, Paul's going to talk about, right? Um, we need salvation from this enemy, right? And so, so the, the real crux of the matter here, right, is that the Israelites, what does salvation mean <laughs> for them? Does salvation mean salvation from the Romans, right? Salvation from oppression from the emperor, Right? Does salvation mean uh, gaining national sovereignty? Does, does salvation mean um, vindication over their enemies? Right? Um, what Paul is going to bring them into is that, is that Jesus came to save us from the true enemy, <laughs> the true uh, root of our problems, the, the, the true enemy that all of us face is the enemy of sin and death. That's one thing that we, that all, that whatever happens, whether we live a good life, whether we live a suffering life or whatever, everyone is going to, everyone is going to die. Everyone is going to face this corruption. And because, and as John said uh, earlier, right, the wrath of God is upon the wicked. The wrath of God will come upon those who, um, uh, who, who um, are, who face God in guilt and face God in, um, in iniquity and are cast away forever to be burned with the shaft where the flame goes up forever and ever and the worm never dies. Right, so Paul is really bringing them to this idea that you don't need a savior from political oppression. You don't need a savior from ideologies. You need a savior from sin and death because every single one of you is going to die. Every single one of you is going to face this corruption, right? And so that's what he expounds on in the, in the rest of the passage here, right? So he says in verse 32, we bring you the good news <laughs> that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, by raising Jesus. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the fulfillment, the vindication uh, the, of, of all that God had um, done, had led the Israelites through to bring humanity to this moment where the Son of God has risen from the dead. And so, and, he was, and, just, and just so that he's clear that this wasn't something that just 
was unforeseen, he now brings them in, he brings them back into the Old Testament, right? And he's uh, referring, and so he, he, refers, he refers to a couple of psalms here now. So first he refers them to Psalm 2, where he says, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Right, and so that's a really, um, that's a, that's, that's a really uh, key passage when talking about the, um, the, the kingdom of God. What, what kind of king do they expect, right? Uh, so I'm just going to read Psalm 2 really quick. Um, because again, the whole point of Psalm 2 is to bring them, is to change their focus from this heavenly perspective of, uh, of who this king is. Right, uh, so Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break with them a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. And so Paul refers to this, uh, this psalm, which again points to the Messiah as king, not over just Israel, but of all heaven and earth. He's the king of kings. He's the eternal king who will never, ever face death, right? So David was a good king, right? But as, um, as uh, he says here in verse 35, um, uh, that uh, in, in verse 36, David fell asleep. David passed away. David was a good king, but he was a sinner and he passed away. And, and he, but in Christ, we have a king who far surpasses David. We have a king who will never, ever die again. We have a king who reigns forever and ever and ever. And so Paul is saying, don't set your sights on a human, you know, on a mere mortal king who's just going to be another David and be a, a great political figure and just establish like, uh, you know, a little um, empire <laughs> just like the Romans. No, set your sights on an eternal kingdom. Set your sights on a hope that will endure forever, that will never ever face the corruption of sin and death again. That is the king that we have in Christ. And even now, and so the gospel, right, the gospel very much is that in, in his crucifixion, in his death, Christ atoned for our sins, that he paid the penalty on the cross for what we deserve. So the atonement is very, very much central to why the good news is good news. But also what makes the gospel good news is here and now, we know that we have a king who reigns over everything in he all heaven and earth for all time. So even now, right, we live in a world, right, where, hey, it seems pretty chaotic, doesn't it? 
to say the least. It seems pretty scary. I mean, all the time, Mel and I are talking about things like, oh gosh, what is this? What is this? Why are they doing this? Why is this happening? Oh, you know, and we have no idea what's happening in our world right now, right? Um, tomorrow, something else could come in the news. The governor could say this. Uh, Dr. Fauci could say that. And all, you know, and we have these people on this side saying, ma, ma, ma. We have people on this side saying, ma, ma, ma. And it's hard to, and it really feels, right? Everyone feels extremely uh, uneasy to say the least, right? Would you guys say that <laughs> about what's happening in this world, right? And so Paul, what, what Paul is telling them is that this king has come. And he reigns over everything that will, uh, that is happening. And so the, the Israelites felt very much like the way we do now. The Israelites were like, hey, you know, we, you know, things are uneasy. We feel very insecure. We don't feel like we belong. <laughs> we feel very much out of, um, you know, like fish out of water here, you know, like, and, and their hope was, man, if only the Messiah would come and just make, make, make it like the good old days, right? But uh, Paul is saying, no, you have, God's not giving you a earthly kingdom to hold on to. He's giving you a heavenly one to, to, to be established in, to, to find your identity in. And so he's telling them to, um, right, set their sights on this king, to put their hope in this son of David, who will never face corruption, will never, by corruption, right, the decay, the, the destruction, the um, iniquity of sin, right? Um, in, in Christ's resurrection, right, we have hope that one day we will be free of all these iniquities, of all of these um, uh, struggles, all of these trials, and we will be with Christ in glory, right? So just as we share with Christ in his sufferings now, we, we, we believe in a, in a Savior who suffered, who, who knew all of the humiliation, all of the pain, all of the struggle that we know now, and he, he endured and trusted the Father unto death and was taken up in, in eternal glory and established over all things. We who are united with him by faith will share in that. And so, um, and so again, so kind of wrapping up towards the end of his sermon in, uh, uh, in verses 38 through 41, right? This gospel commands a response, right? You can listen to all of the Bible teaching out there, right? You can listen to all, you know, you can listen to sermons on YouTube. You can read Christian books all you want, but it really demands a response of faith in our heart, right? And so Paul, he, um, uh, he, he, he calls them to, uh, to how, so, so, so they're like, okay, great. Christ has come. Jesus, this Jesus is the Savior. But so what? What do we do? Do we have to, uh, we have to put extra tassels on our <laughs> clothes. What do we do? We have to eat these certain foods now to, in order to purify ourselves to be right with Him. Do we have to uh, undergo some kind of ritual in order to um, make ourselves pure? Do we need to, um, you know, what do we need to do? How do we come into this? And He says, 
very clearly, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by, ev by, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So he teaches them very clearly that salvation is through faith, through believing. It's by trust, right? Trust is something that anybody can do, right? By, with God's help, not of their own power. We need God's uh, power and spirit for that trust. But, but trust is something that everybody at any time, if we would humble our hearts and ask God for grace and say, Lord, I, I trust my life. I trust my heart. I trust myself to Jesus as my king. Through Jesus, I pray that I'm forgiven of my sins on, um, through what he did on the cross. And, um, uh, and again, this is not something that we can ever earn. It's not something that we can ever uh, work towards. He says we can never do this through the law, right? So anybody here who's thinking that, okay, once I start doing all the God things <laughs> that God wants me to do, then God will be happy with me. Then God will accept me. Then God will give me these promises. And I'm here to tell you, you can't. If you are here tonight um, thinking that, okay, I'm going to turn my life around. I'm going to start doing the things that God wants me to do um, by my own strength. And then he looks at me, no, you need to admit that you're a sinner that you're helpless, that you cannot do the things that, um, that Scripture requires of us. You have to come to that point of realization and that, that point of admission that, God, there is nothing good in me. I can never earn this um, salvation that you have offered us in Jesus Christ. I, Lord, I don't deserve it, but I pray that because you have, you have proclaimed it to me, because you have uh, offered it to me, I pray that I will receive it and receive it as a free gift, something that you do not deserve, something that you could never earn. And as you receive that gift, right, the Holy Spirit comes into you. You receive the promise. You receive the presence of God in the Holy Spirit who comes into our hearts and regenerates us, make us a, makes us a new creation, who, through whom we are born again. We become a new person in Christ. We become a, new, uh, uh, a newborn baby that becomes a, a new man, a, a, no, a new woman, someone who has an appetite for the things of God, somebody who desires the, the things of the Lord. And not because we um, earn our salvation, but because we receive it freely, the Holy Spirit now conforms us to all the things that are good in the Lord's eyes, slowly but surely, right? Conforming us to his love, conforming us to his um, patience, conforming us to his mercy and his humility, his righteousness, right? And so today, wherever you are, you might be here thinking like, man, I've just messed up so bad again. I don't know why I'm here. God will, you know, I, I can't keep doing this. The grace of God is abounding and is freely uh, distributed to all who will simply receive it, who will simply uh, trust in the work of uh, Christ and, all, and his sufficiency and not themselves.
So just lastly, the, um, the last thing that Paul has them look at is a warning. <laughs> it's a warning. He says, so again, nobody has, ultimately, this is, a, this is something that everybody is, should be compelled to receive in faith. But, you know, uh, he, he warns those. He says, beware lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you would not believe even if one tells you. So a couple things on this, right, is that very much we, Jesus is not the better of other alternatives. He's not the best way out of other ways. He's the only way to salvation. He's the only way to eternity. He's the only way to righteousness with God. There isn't Jesus, there's the Jesus way, but hey, there's these other paths that are, that are okay too. No, every other way leads to destruction. And so if we reject, if we, if we reject the, um, the grace the, in, in Jesus Christ that he offers us now, right? Just like John said, it, it will come true. We will face that day where we are cast out forever. But for those, and not because God is bad, because God is good, <laughs> because he's a holy God, he's a righteous God, and Christ has done everything already to save us from this. But again, why this passage is really, really gives us so much hope in the end, right, is that um, this, so this passage that he quotes from is from uh, Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter one. And uh, so the whole message of Habakkuk, right, is basically kind of referring to you know, the um, Israel is in sin, they're, they're in all this, they're, they're, they're in wickedness, they're in rebellion, there's all these atrocities going on, and you have Habakkuk crying out, uh, saying, Lord, how long shall I cry out for help? How will you not hear or cry out to you violence and you not save? Basically, Habakkuk in his time, he was crying out to God, God, why are you letting all this happen? Why are you letting all this evil abound? Why are you letting all this bad stuff just happening? And we, we want righteousness. We want, we want justice to be done, but you're not giving it to us, Lord. Why, right? And that is where uh, God answers Habakkuk. He says, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. And basically what he's saying is that he's going to use the Chaldeans to judge Israel. And he's going to punish um, the nation of Israel and cast them out. But he's going, ultimately, he's going to preserve the righteous. He's going to preserve those who hold to him. And that is exactly what we have to face as well, right? In this, in this life, this world is coming under judgment. This world is reaping the, uh, the, the fruit, right, of the wickedness that it owns. And, and God has every uh, right and every duty to punish the wickedness on this earth, and, and he will. But it is only because of his grace to us that he is giving us this window of salvation to take hold of the gospel, to take hold of Christ. And as he enacts his judgment upon the earth, right, we are being saved out of it, right? We are being saved out of it as he is 
exacting justice, as he's exacting judgment, which the world deserves, which we deserve. But because we have, um, because he has been uh, good to just give us um, the, the, um, the, the full righteousness and, um, and this salvation in Jesus, right? We are being saved out into this better hope, this eternal hope, this um, kingdom that will not end. And so, again, so again, uh, kind of just kind of uh, looking back uh, where, so next week, again, we're going to look at the responses <laughs> because we're going to see that one message can be preached and you can see two very different responses, and it's all of God's um, doing. And um, so we're so this is so this was Paul's sermon. Next week we're going to look at how it was received and how it was responded to. So any questions or thoughts? I know I spoke really fast. This was this was one of the harder passages because I was like, oh man, do I divide this over two weeks or do I do it or in one? I just thought I'm going to do it in one session. So that's why you know we kind of just rushed through it here. But if you have any questions or if you're like, what did you say? You were just rambling and talking really fast and also kind of repeating yourself over and over again. So um, you know if uh, so if you have any questions or you know want want to dig into anything that we didn't kind of talk about, would love to chat with you. So. All right. Um, well, why don't we go ahead and uh, close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for, Lord, giving us a hope that transcends anything that this world can offer us. Lord, we, we really would love to see a perfect earthly kingdom <laughs> established. We would love to see a perfect United States <laughs> established, Lord, um, where... Yeah, where justice is done, where freedom is uh, protected, where um, where wickedness is um, is is held accountable, where leaders are good and righteous and trustworthy, and Lord God, um, Father, you use all this <laughs> to point us to Lord the great and eternal kingdom, which will never perish, which we will enjoy the fellowship and love of God in fullness and perpetuity forever and ever. Lord, Lord, the sufferings and the trials that we have in this world will be for a short time. It will be a blink of an eye in comparison for eternity. And yet, Lord, the the where we how we respond to the gospel now will have eternal implications and so father god um we pray father that we would really um uh uh, ground ourselves in, in seeing lord that you're the god of all history that all the things that maybe we're facing today lord they've been done before they've been they've humanity has gone through all the things that we've gone through today and you have always lord um in all things you are working for the good of those who love you and so father we we pray father that um lord we would look to our eternal king that we would know that whatever happens our citizenship is in heaven that we serve a king who is all who is has all power and all authority right now he is not going to get authority when he comes back. He has authority right now, and he is Lord over all things. And he is bringing his enemies under his feet, even as we speak. 
So Father God, we cannot understand your ways. We cannot understand uh, your purposes. But Lord, we know who you are. You are a God who keeps your promises. You are a God who is faithful to those you have called to yourself. And so Father, you, you who began a good work in us, you will be faithful to complete it. So Father God, today I just pray for any who, uh, Lord, may, first may not know the uh, assurance and the sufficiency of Christ's blood. Would they take hold of it today in faith? Not, not seeing that they can earn it, but that they need to simply receive it in full as a gift to be uh, received. And Lord, may, maybe for many, of us, for many of us today, Lord, we might be uh, just doubting the authenticity of um, our faith that maybe, maybe we're here thinking you're mad at us and that you want nothing to do with us anymore, that maybe we've blown it uh, just too big this time and we don't know if you want anything to do with us anymore. And Father, Lord God, uh, continue to remind us, Lord, of that for those who are in Christ, Lord, you are a heavenly Father. You love us um, with an eternal covenant love that... Uh, can never be broken, just, just as a parent can never stop loving their child, Lord, even more so, you will never love, uh, stop loving those that you have um, called to your name in your son. And so, uh, just bless us now, Lord, in fellowship. Be with uh, Pastor Chris and uh, Sammy and their family as they are away, as they are um, just taking this time uh, to uh, just um, kind of rest and grow as a family. Um, Lord, continue to keep us united as a church. Keep us. There's there's many things that could, uh, you know, that that could be that could cause issues or whatever. Lord, and we just pray, Father, for a, a spirit of unity and peace to abound. Um, continue to uh, be with our leaders, with Pastor Bob and our deacons, and we just uh, continue to pray that you give us all wisdom to uh, be faithful to you as as a church in all things. And so. Yeah, there's no power in us, Lord. All power is in you. We just pray that we would be faithful in your eyes, um, that we would um, be stewards of all you've given us, that we would simply uh, labor faithfully in all seasons. And so we pray this and commit this to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.